Um, I think everybody knows me. If not, I'll go ahead and introduce myself again. Um, I'm Paul Morey. I'm the Earthquake and Hurricane Program Manager at FEMA Region 1, and I'm also the uh, Northeastern Hazardous Users Group uh, Coordinator. Um, so today for our call, um, we have a presentation from Mike Hepsos, if I'm pronouncing it right, and um, Ed Fratto from NESEC, and they're going to talk about how they use hazards for um, responding to Hurricane Irene. Um, and then we have a I'll go ahead. You're kind, you're kind of breaking up a little bit. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're on a cell call line, but you're kind of in an intermittent in and out. Is this better? That's better. Thank you. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what you missed, but I just introduced myself, and, and what we're going to do is have a presentation from uh, Mike Chatos and Ed Fratto from NESEC. They're going to talk about how they use Tazis to respond to Hurricane Irene. And uh, I'll pass it off to you guys. Okay, hi there. I'm Mike Katzos. And I'm Ed Fratto. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to um, provide a little background, and then Mike is going to take you through the presentation and talk about, you know, some of the specifics in terms of how we used uh, hazards during Hurricane Irene. Um, but just in, in terms of background, when a hurricane approaches, there's a lot of excellent information out there for emergency managers, you know, and this information includes, you know, the hurricane track, the time of impact, the area of impact. Um, the National Hurricane Center is providing excellent information and conference calls and, a lot of data back for the states. HARAVAC is also another excellent program that, you know, can help emergency managers with making evacuation decisions. Um, and while there's a lot of excellent sources of information, you know, about the hurricane available, what we discovered is lacking is really an estimate of the social and economic impact. I mean, what is, you know, we know when this hurricane's coming, we know approximately where it's going to hit, we have some sense of what the wind speed's going to be, but but what exactly is going to be the impact? What does that mean? Um, so if you're an emergency manager, I mean that's that's a piece that you need to uh, piece of information that you that, that you need to have in order to make the appropriate decisions, protective action, and otherwise. Um, you know, and this is social and economic. Uh, what's going to be the impact? Uh, damage, trees down, number of people requiring shelter, et cetera, et cetera. And HAZUS is the program that really can provide this information. It complements all the other information, the meteorological and other information that emergency man managers are getting, and it helps them to, like I said, make have the information they need to make uh, protective action decisions. So we developed something called, a, it's a snapshot report. Uh, it's it's a it's a quick overview of what of the hurricane and what the impacts will be, and Mike will now take you through the slides and give you some sense of exactly how we do that and what and what product uh, we provide to the state. Okay, so if you could all look at the second slide that's entitled "Has this MH Hurricane Scenarios." Um, there are several ways to choose an operation to perform um, when you're dealing with hurricanes and hazards. The ones we deal with most often here at NESAC are the historic scenarios. Those are tracks that are stored within hazards that can be sorted and filtered according to the impact on different regions. 
and uh, the new scenario. Um, so when we become aware of a storm several days in advance that it's going to be an issue for our region, um, the new scenario feature is the one we're looking at. Um, and you can go to the next slide for evac storm tracks. Um, the way we get the information about the new storm is by um, syncing hazards with HERAVAC, um, and that is the service provided by the National Hurricane Center, um, and it's a partnership with the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, FEMA, and NOAA. Um, and what HERAVAC does is uh, continually updating um, set of information about the storm, and it also provides reports on active storms that are going on um, around the United States. Uh, it produces a variety of different outputs that we're most interested in the storm track, which you can see in the image. Um, the wind field for the storm that's provided by HERAVAC is slightly different than the hazardous wind field. Um, HERAVAC's wind fields are a worst-case scenario and the hazardous winds are designed to decay when the storm hits land. Um, but that suits HERAVAC's purposes of planning tools for evacuations and things like that. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, so the next step for us is to import and run a track from HERAVAC in HAZIS. Um, HAZIS provides the option to import directly from HERAVAC. Um, and so you link to a server and uh, you download the track directly um, whenever a new track is available. Can we ask questions as you go along or should we wait? Why don't you go ahead? I was just curious, um, so is it set up so that it's available 24/7, so you could go in any time, or is it you're notified that it's that's being tracked, an incident uh, event's being tracked? Yeah, it's available 24/7. Um, the only thing I would add to it's available 24/7, but the tracks come out at various intervals during the day. Um, so you because I'm not aware of anybody um, like as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of notifications that we do get. Right. But I don't know if we're not plugged into it or if um, we're just not aware of where you would somebody would post and say you can go now on to Hurricane is now tracked. You can sign up you can sign up for an automatic email from the National Hurricane Center and I believe it comes out at eight, two PM. That's how I get my information on the uh, yeah, actual storm track. It's uh, every six hours. It's five eleven, five eleven, there's the right. advisory. Right. And then there's intermediate at um uh, 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 between those, and then there's also what they call the graphical tropical weather outlook that's on the Hurricane Center website where they track developing storms. So as soon as there's an advisory for a named storm, if you turn on Hurricane, you can you can start tracking the storm and, and doing some you know some analysis and reports and things like that. Um, if you're more interested in in Hurricane and, and kind of like the Hurricane Center products, just um. Just uh, shoot me an email, and we can talk a little bit more about it. Um, that's that's one of the programs that I run for uh, for FEMA. So um, so just let me know, and I'd be happy to get you more information. 
All right, great. And that's and also the link that I forget how you said we would go on and sign up. Yeah, I can get you all that stuff. Great, thank you. Okay, so for NISAC, uh the region of concern is basically the six New England states plus New Jersey and New York. You can see in the slide that's labeled NISAC region. Um, and on the next slide, um, after we load the track, um, the next step for us is to identify sub-regions to run. Um, we run it in smaller groupings of uh, municipalities or census tracts. Um, so the processing is faster. Um, just, just a point here is that hazards, the threshold for running hazards is uh, 50 mile per hour wind. So in some cases there'll be a storm and we'll, you know, it may be tracking out to sea. We'll bring it in from Haravac, bring it into hazards. The winds are all less than 50 miles per hour. So we can generate that map, but we cannot run hazards because that is the, the threshold. Uh, wind speed that has its needs to run the model. So, so is that sustained winds or gust? I believe it's gust. Any? So it's not necessarily tied to um, uh, the uh, category of the hurricane. It's, it's a it's a 50 mile an hour sustained wind. Is the, is the trigger. Right, and that's that's the sustained wind within hazards. So that may differ from what you're seeing in Haravac because Haravac is looking at winds differently. The hazards model takes the Haravac wind speeds, converts it into the, the wind model that they use, and generates this map. So in some cases, the wind speeds that we'll have on the hazards map will differ from the wind speeds that you generate just from the Haravac map. And I think Mike mentioned that, you know, Haravac is a tool for evacuations. It's based on the worst case scenario. So they they use a different wind model, but Hazus is designed to adjust that for uh, wind speeds related to losses. So um, as we were saying, we we add a track to a region with all the NESEC states, and, and we map looking for the areas where the sustained winds are above that 50-mile-per-hour threshold. Um, under 50, the damage is negligible and hazards won't run it. Um, we use that sort of visual analysis to build smaller, faster-running regions um, after this initial exploratory analysis. Um, which we use to produce our report. So you can see on this map, in this case, we can exclude Western New York, for example, um, based on that 50 mile an hour threshold cutoff. Um, and each time a new track is released through HuraVac, we do this again. Um, and if you scroll down to the next slide, sample results. Um, our goal is basically to provide a snapshot of the situation for emergency managers, um, and we can produce a variety of uh, outputs based on different needs. Um, for Irene, we were producing maps of tree debris and total losses by census tract for each state, and we also produce maps of expected peak gusts and sustained winds across the states. 
and then we produce uh, sort of a, a quick assessment report. That's a stock um, feature of Hazus um, derived directly from the program uh, in the summary reports function. And we produce um, sort of a custom snapshot assessment report um, with a few specific figures. Um, we produce that ourselves and distribute it with the results. Um, and those results go out to state emergency managers by a dedicated list there that we have. So now that list, um, so in Massachusetts, is that the, the MEMA regional, regional people? It goes to uh, headquarters. Goes to MEMA headquarters. Okay, so they build. That's probably how what they incorporate as part of their information, maybe in their situation reports. Yes. Well, we provide it to the states, and then it's up to them to either distribute it further or incorporate it into their situational awareness or whatever you know decision making processes. That, that are ongoing at the time. How interactive is that process? Is it can they uh, the states ask for specific scenarios or for for um, periods of time um, for you to look at certain aspects, like you mentioned, either uh, debris or tree, uh, uh, that kind of damage uh, yeah. from trees and so forth. Okay, so they can interact with you and ask for specifics oh, yeah. over a so certain period of time. We put out the, you know, we put out the summary sheet, and we'll we'll include a couple of images based on, you know, what we're seeing, a couple of maps, and what we think is, you know, are the critical areas. But if some, you know, if if they get back to us and say, you know, we want more detail on a particular area, or region, or on trees, or whatever, we we can do that for them. Um, so is that real, or is it predictive over a period of time, or can it be both? Well, it's, it, you know, it. If you look at Irene, it's you know it's a good example because that storm. I mean, initially we had very very high damage estimates, and as the storm tracked further north and and the uh, you know decreased in intensity, you know we saw our numbers going you know going down. So um, and, and that's one of the things we need to you know we looked at very carefully in terms of you know when do we begin issuing the report. Um, in this case with Irene, um, you know, we like I said, we were issuing reports that showed, you know, millions and billions of dollars in damage. And then as the storm evolved, there was, you know, there was minimal damage related to wind. Um, but if Irene had kept on that track and it, and you know retained the intensity, then the damage estimates would have been good. So. Our sense is as soon as we as soon as we get enough information to be able to do a run, as soon as we gener it generates the appropriate wind speed, we issue the data and, and continue to update it. Um, can, can I make a comment? Sure. Um, it was pretty consistent with our call volume of damage re reports from wind mm -hmm. when um, when I saw the city of Boston um, uh, has its estimates. Right. Although the estimates were higher, the um, damage uh, pockets of damage were actually on track with what you provided. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, and in this case, when we were working with the city of Boston, 
We typically do this by state, but we wanted to try a smaller region, and we did uh, we did run Boston, and we provided the you know that information to Elaine, and uh, you know that's good ground truthing for us in terms of looking at a smaller region, uh, looking at where Hazus was estimating tree damage, where actual calls were coming in about down trees, and then the you know the overall estimate of damage for the for the city. Uh, based on, you know, the damage that actually occurred. So it's when you get down to the local level, it's much easier to, to kind of validate um, the accuracy of, of what we're putting out. So I appreciate Boston's uh, uh, support with that. Um, okay, so on your next slide, the ongoing evaluation process. We've sort of been talking about this. Um, uh, we produce a new map and report set for each state um, about once a day um, as the situation evolves, as the track and the projected winds evolve, and we distribute them as fast as possible. Um, you can see how the track changes and the projected damages change between these maps of Connecticut. Um, in the case of Irene, it not only changed tracks, but it changed in intensity from a Category 2 down to a Category 1 and eventually to a tropical storm status. So all that has a big impact on our results. Um, and our overall losses for the region, um, we initially had numbers between 3 and 4 billion and our final estimates were around 480 million in damages from wind. So um, the changing track and the changing intensity has a lot to do with uh, how accurate this projection could be. Now, these slides that we're looking at right now on the ongoing evaluation process yeah. are those are those actual um, slides that are, are, that are screenshots that you would have somehow sent to the to the um, the state EM emergency managers? Yes, they are. Yeah. So my question is, so they don't seem to have any, like a reference for a period of time on them or, or period, you know, operational period or I can see that there's a different track inserted across it. It looks like there's a dashed line that moves from the west. But other than that, it doesn't seem to be able to show like a cascade or a progression of, of over time. Well... It would be helpful... Stamp a timestamp on it. Right. These results, they're bundled with other information that indicates you know, the date the analysis was run, and um, and it sort of indicates how long this information is going to be relevant, with the understanding that we will continue to produce these maps and reports until um, predicting the damage is going to be a non-issue. So. so you don't actually, in this this category of things. We're not really making prediction about the track. It's just uh, uh, details about said track. Yeah. I mean, this, this track is, this is the, you know, track that comes out of the National Hurricane Center. So the other information they're getting on track is, is exactly the same as what, is what we, we'd be showing them. But yeah, I mean, the, the track is just, you know, part of the map that, you know, that just illustrates what the what they're getting from the uh, National Hurricane Center. 
and how that translates into hazards in terms of potential exactly. damage. Exactly. And the, the time stamp, what we do is we'll, we'll issue a report for the day, and there'll be a cover that goes with that and then the supporting mass. But, but that's a good suggestion. We should, um, we should put the date and time stamp on there just in the event papers get messed up or things get, you know, shuffled around. They'll be able to refer back to the appropriate yeah, also, I mean, I, I just think in terms of, because like you say, things are happening quickly, different right. people are looking at it, and it's just a point of reference so that we can all be on the same page. Exactly. Okay, so on your next slide, um, we're going to talk about this issue of wind damage versus damage from the rain and flooding. Um, during Irene, Vermont especially illustrated uh, one of the unique challenges that's posed by doing hazardous analysis of hurricanes, and that's <coughs> this, uh, the fact that uh, projected damages are based only on wind speeds, um, and they don't take flooding into account. Now, for hurricanes, um, the winds are strongest in the upper right quadrant of the storm, while the rains are most significant on the leftmost quadrant. Um, which you can sort of see in the lower right image. Uh, and in the case of Vermont, hazards produced low projected damages, but the observed damage was actually very high, uh, mostly from flooding, washed out roads, uh, and things like that. So the rain impacts were underestimated fairly dramatically. Um, and especially in the northeast region, uh, even though uh, we're not considered one of the prime targets for hurricanes necessarily, flooding can be a really significant problem that isn't taken into account when hurricanes are considered. Uh, Mike, did I, did any of that? That's just coastal flooding, right? Well, coastal flooding has been added to the, uh, the latest version of houses. And we're we're in the process of transitioning over to that. So, you know, for next season, we'll probably be able to produce some information about coastal flooding. But this would be inland riverine flooding. Um, Hazus doesn't doesn't address that um, specifically in the hurricane model. And if you go to the flood module of Hazus, you can do flood runs, but they take a long time, and they're for specific stretches of rivers. So you can't you can't really run a region and get a sense of what the flooding impacts are going to be. They're, they're more localized uh, studies. Um, the, the, the point we're trying to make here is one of the, you know, the issues that impacts us here in the Northeast is the rain effects of a hurricane. And unfortunately, there isn't a tool that, that allows us to, to, to take that information and do a regional analysis of, of what the impacts would be. So with that in mind, there are a couple of things we would like to see in the future for our purposes. Um, one of those is a smoother integration of rainfall data with hazardous hurricane runs. Um, some data is produced within HERVAC in a tabular format, but it's not interoperable with hazardous and it can't be mapped. So even if 
you couldn't project flooding, a projection of rainfall based on the track straight out of Hervac would be a really useful tool in anticipating where some of these damages are going to occur. Um, and there are a variety of sources where that rainfall data could eventually come from to be integrated into hazards. Um, but adding it would definitely increase the accuracy of these projections in our region especially. And it'd be nice if this somehow could be tied to some baseline information about uh, seasonal um, uh, 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 water levels for the different rev rivers and dams. Right. So that you could make quickly see, okay, they're already at a seasonal high because of uh, rain that they've had the last few weeks or something like that, or they're at a low, seasonal low because of a drought or whatever. It'd be nice to have that kind of real-time data to be able to snap into the prediction. Right. Okay, well, that pretty much concludes uh, our presentation. If there are any other questions. So I guess, so So do we have the HARAVAC now? Uh, how, does, how does that work with the HAZIS in terms of we're new to this whole aspect of HAZIS and time tied to our GIS efforts here? So to get HARAVAC, you need to go to, um, you got to go to HARAVAC.com. And um, if you have a, like, you can show that you're an emergency manager, you know, based on your email address and your justification. You can download the software once you're registered and it's free and um, and just start running it. I see. Right. And, what, and once it's up and running, like, as, as, as you begin to want to follow a storm, you know, you can, you'll, you'll be running um, HuraVac and you'll see the tracks and then you'll be able to plot the tracks using HuraVac and then you'll be able to, as, as Mike mentioned, import that track into Hazus, run it for the region that you're looking at, and get a sense as to whether the wind speeds, you know, um, would support an analysis. So it's two different processes. You can just bring it in and that's a fairly quick process. Get a sense as to whether the wind speeds, the same winds are greater than 50. And then, based on that, you would then run your analysis. So once, yeah, once you get signed up for HuraVac and get familiar with that, it's fairly easy to import the track in. Yeah. All right, great. Yeah, I actually didn't realize um, that it had this kind of um, dashboard kind of potential. That uh, actually opens up another whole area for, uh, for you know, justifying the kind of effort we want to put into becoming more familiar with hazards. Actually, you know, we're focused on hurricanes today, but for earthquakes, there's a similar process with uh, the shake maps that the USGS produces, where if there's a significant earthquake and um, the USGS produces a, a shake map, you can also bring that data real time into Hazus and run, the, run a, an earthquake analysis. So is that another whole process we go for to try and get the shake? Uh, access to that information? Well, that's yeah. 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 That, well, the Shake, as, as far as I know, the ShakeMac information is available uh, online. 
I don't believe you okay. can sign up. Um, but yeah, it would yeah, be a can, similar process. Um, and with flooding, you can, you know, as a user gets more sophisticated in using the flood model, you can actually bring in real time and projected uh, flood information um, and do a, a flood run. But like I said, the flood runs are more, if it's a community or a smaller area, it's much more feasible to do these in a real-time way and get some information that you can work with. If you're trying to do a region, it just isn't, as it just isn't designed to, to do that regional type of analysis. So there's a way... So now, let me ask... Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, so there's a way to pretty much with all the hazards in hazards, there's a way to bring in some real-time information. And what we're, we're suggesting is we'd like to try to find a way to to bring in rainfall uh, data into hazards, even if it's just that we can't do any loss loss analysis with it, but just as another piece of information that we can bundle up with the wind information to, to, to give the emergency managers some sense of, okay, well, it doesn't look like the wind damage is going to be bad, but it looks bad, but it looks like, you know, we're going to get excessive rainfall. Um, but anyways, uh, go ahead with the question. I was just going to say, though, to go to your point about um, the um, the uh, damage assessment, the what it might be. Um, in terms, has there is there any um, data that you've been able to assemble as a result of this most recent storms, or that can go back and look at um, based on what the hazards was predicting? for a locality for their building type and their use and its construction and its age and the dollar amount that that it uh, would take to repair it. Uh, or has any of that been looked at to see how that all mapped with actual an area that was hard hit and, and did sustain some damage and see how it translates into to real cost? Or is that is it too yeah. early in the game? Well, I mean, we've we've actually tried to do that with floods that have occurred, and we've modeled those floods based on the actual um, stream gauge and the actual flood model. And then we've gone back and you know and tried to assemble that that inf the the actual damage information. And that's the challenge because it's not a lot of, especially with a hurricane, a lot of the damage is covered by private insurance, and those numbers are not available to us. Um, you know, there is some information that's available from FEMA and from the states in terms of, you know, general dollar amounts. But, yeah, we'd like to do that, but what we found is it's very difficult to get accurate data, especially from the, from the private insurers. Yeah, we were able, for Hurricane Irene, do a public damage assessment. We tried to do um, an initial damage assessment. Uh, on tree damage on public property. We've lost a lot of uh, century-old trees in Boston. Um, our um, tree canopy is significantly changed because of Tropical Storm Irene and the wind was, as a result of it. However, we did not meet the thresholds uh, for, for our uh, city. However, uh, it does not negate the problem that we have with the uh, deterioration of um, the tree canopy and also um, for future flooding where these trees used to suck up a lot of rainwater, they're no longer there. So it was a serious storm, and I think um, pretty much the um, analysis that was done by us early on 
pretty much mirrored the same thing. But Ed, you're absolutely right. As far as the private sector, the public sector was okay, but getting the information um, that insurance companies hold close hold uh, was difficult with the uh, individual's um, damage assessment. Although we did supp supply all that information to MEMA, um, it was hard to come up with a dollar threshold. Yeah, that, that raises a good question in my mind about the threshold itself and if, if um, how that relates to the assessment that's done and analysis is done through hazards of, of what the dollar amounts might be. Well, and maybe that's where hazards could be a tool to help them look at what those thresholds are. I don't know what what how that is that. It's based on population. So we because we're a um, very highly – we have a large residential population. It, and it's not only the city of Boston, but it's uh, uh, Suffolk County. Um, so we have to rely on Chelsea, Winthrop, and Revere to meet our thresholds. So um, we did not meet our threshold uh, based on population uh, for this storm. Um, however, um, we did get significant tree damage, so we need to we need to take basically take care of it in house, and we, we are doing that. We're also trying to replant. Uh, trees that were lost because we need to start. Well, I guess that's saying. I'm just wondering if maybe that's an opportunity to look at what the baseline is. And if population might not be the only best measure in terms of that threshold and actually look at some of these other density issues and what the actual costs were and, and look at that whole scheme. That's, I think there's some real information out there that's available that might weigh in on it. I don't know. Way above my pay grade. <laughs> Paul, what do you think? Paul? You're t yeah, sorry, I had to get it off mute. You're, um, you're talking about disaster declaration thrust. Yeah, it's very, it was very, yeah, I, I don't see us changing. I mean, I don't know if you can change that based on hazards, but, you know, it's a thought to consider. Yeah, I mean. It's, it's tough. I That's a tough know. one. Yeah, I mean, I know that population and, and, and damages, but I don't know, um, I don't know all the details about what the what the uh, the formula is for that, but that I mean I can look into that. Um, look into that. As far as the validation goes, I know they've done it. They've done validation studies in other parts of the country for some major events, and they may have the same problem in terms of like the monetary um, numbers. But with like say for example the flooding in North Dakota this year. Um, They've done pretty well with the actual like numbers of structures damaged or debris and things like that. So, um, so there has been you know there has been some validation and and I think it depends and, and Ed could probably speak to this a little bit more, but um, I think it depends on what the hazard is and, and there's a lot of little intricacies excuse me of um, how hazards um, handle different hazards in some cases where it may overestimate a little bit and others where it may underestimate. And I think as you get more and more into using it, you start to... Hello, did I lose you? Nope, we, we hear you. You got me? Can you guys still hear me? We can hear you okay here. Okay, okay, good. Um, but I think, you know, as you get further along in using it, um, you do kind of discover more of those things, certainly through staying on these Hello. Um, you get more more information. Can you as hear well, me? So. Yes. Yes, we can hear you, Elaine. Hey, one one of the things you know that, that you have to be cognizant of is that 
you know, this is really just an estimate. And so what we do with our estimates, if it's a million dollars, we take half of that amount, so we would we would provide a range, say between you know five hundred thousand and uh, two million, uh, because this really is you know this really is kind of a you know uh, a, just an estimate of what the impact would be. I I got it I I guess. That. Tom, were you about to make a comment? No, I was just saying, yeah, no, I can appreciate that. I understand that process. But I guess I was just, uh, I'm just curious how that all would match up and what kind of ongoing their efforts there are to kind of look at that, how how you can benefit from these estimates and keep narrowing the estimate. It's like that cone of uh, estimated damage on the hurricanes. Over the years, it's been shrinking. They've been saying that they're better analysis, more experience, they keep shrinking that cone so that uh, when they come up the East Coast, we're getting a narrower and narrower cone that we can kind of rely on. So I was just thinking in, in those terms, in terms of how to use this, these tools, that would have to be a goal, too, to keep trying to relate these estimates towards what actually happens and, and then look at how that relates to what the eligibility is and, and so forth. Just kind of the process, process improvement comes out of working in the hospitals for a number of years. <laughs> I know, and, and, and validation is the key with these models because if, you know, if we run the models and, you know, the actual damage is not even close to what is being estimated or if it's, you know, an extreme overestimate, that's information that needs to go back to the model so that they can, you know, go in and tweak the model and, uh, you know, and make it a more useful tool. So it's a, it's a valid point. We try to do some of that, but it's just a, it's a complicated process and the, Data is very hard to come by. Understood. I can imagine. Tom, we also have um, we have uh, has this like national topic specific calls, and Tammy can give you the information on those if you're interested in taking part in any of them. They get into um, case studies like Ed and Mike. Um, presented, and um, occasionally they'll talk about validation um, studies and things like that. So it's just another avenue to um, get more information. Great. Thanks. Yep. Did anybody else have any, any more questions or comments for Ed and Mike? I'll take that as a no. And um, I just wanted to mention uh, briefly that uh, Ed and um, Jamie and I are working on putting together a one-day hazardous workshop um, uh, kind of uh, focused on uh, new users or interested users um, this March. Uh, we don't have an exact date yet. Um, we'll probably kind of showcase what hazardous can do, maybe a demonstration, you know, where you can get the software, where you can get training, um, things like that. So we encourage you to, to come to the uh, Yeah, Elaine just called me. Apparently, there was a problem. She was uh, she couldn't hear what was going on, but we could hear her. So she apologizes, but uh, she uh, okay. she had to leave the call. Uh, Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Yep, yeah, and I was just going to say. So we encourage you to attend, and um, once we get a 
we'll get a flyer out and um, please do send it to as many people as you think uh, might be interested. It should be a, a great opportunity. Um, and it's not just, we want to make sure too, it's not just for users, for technical people, but also for people that um, might be having other people do the work but want to know what the program offers or, or how to work on coordination and things like that. Um, other than that, I don't really have any more announcements. So um, just, again, last chance if you have any more comments, questions. Um, and other than that, if Jamie, do you want to talk about um, a date for our next call? Um, why don't we just send out an announcement about it? We'll sort of sure. wait until we have a flyer for the March meeting and kind of take it from there, I think. Okay. All right. Well, thanks all for being on the call. I really appreciate it, appreciate it. and thank you very much, Ed and Mike, for um, presenting on your work with uh, Hurricane Irene. I think we uh, we all got a lot out of that, so thank you. That's good. Thanks, okay. you guys. Take care, guys. Thank you, everybody. It was very good. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Okay.